Okay, now we can begin. I think it's on. First question tonight. Did you ask anybody to come and see? I listened to JJ's lesson from last week and he asked that question. Uh, did you invite anybody to come and see? I was glad to see out on the bulletin board there's a list of names of people that are uh, being stayed with or potentially being stayed with. And I'd like to encourage you that if you've not done that before or been comfortable with that, pray about that. Pray to God for your boldness, for your conviction. Pray to God for the softening of the other person's heart that you have in mind. And I think once that process starts, uh, you're going to find it uh, easier. Go with Doug if he has a Bible study. If you're interested in learning how to study with somebody, go with somebody that's done it before. We're in John chapter 3 and 4 tonight. And I was glad when I got here that I saw on the, the flyers that I was actually assigned John's chapters 3 and 4. I was hoping I didn't study the wrong ones because that's what you were going to get anyway. But just as one must do certain things on this earth to be successful, whatever a person pursues, so it is with God's eternal plan for mankind to be, to be redeemed in His time and in His way. There are certain things that must be done in order for a dessert to turn out the way the author of the recipe intended. So there were and are things that must happen for mankind to be redeemed. The way we change... Uh, when we change a recipe from the way it's written, we don't get what the recipe inventor intended. And it will not be the same. When we ignore or change the plan God has for man to be redeemed, we will not get the intended effect. Now while John chapter 3 and 4 did not contain all the things that, that must happen, and all the things that man must do, we find a pretty good list of ideas that are basic to Christianity. As I was reading John chapters 3 and 4, there were four times where the word must showed up. The word must means that it's something that has to be done. Or you don't get to move on to whatever is next. So the first thing I want us to look at is in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Here Jesus is foretelling His death by crucifixion on the cross. If you go over to John chapter 8 and verse 28, Jesus is going to say the same thing. Jesus therefore said, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Jesus had to die. It was a part of God's eternal purpose and plan for God to redeem man. I want you to think about the love of God. And I want you to think about our own helpless state 
by that very act taking place. John 3.16 comes to mind, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We know this is something special because of the passage that tells us that there is no greater love than this and for a man to lay down his life for his friends. We are considered friends of Jesus. Then I want you to think about our helpless estate. According to Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 where it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Do we consider ourselves, even as Christians, do we consider ourselves to be ungodly people? Should we consider ourselves to be that? There's so much more to discuss on that particular issue. I'll just let you think about that and answer those in your own study. We need to move on. Number two. Staying in the third chapter of John in verse 30. John the Baptist says here, He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptizer said this about Jesus and about himself. He was willing for Jesus to take his place in history and for him to take a lesser place. John was humble enough to know his time, while necessary, prophesied, and it was a lot of work. He yielded his life's work to Jesus so that he could fulfill what he came to do. Jesus tells us that even he did not come to do his own will, but that of the Father. John chapter 4 and verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to do his work. <coughs> I apologize. Getting over an upper respiratory infection. I heard somebody else talking about that. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to do his work. Then again in John chapter 5 and verse 30, he says that he does not seek his own will, but the will of him who sent him. Paul describes the humility of Jesus and our own in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 8, where he declares that Jesus emptied himself. John, the baptizer here, was telling us that he was willing to empty himself for the sake of Christ. That's what humility is. Humility is being willing to set aside ourselves for the sake of Christ. And just as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. So we should say the same thing. And number three. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. Got to be both. It's got to be spirit and it's got to be truth. 
1 Corinthians 14, 15 says it this way, What is the outcome then? Shall I pray with the Spirit? And shall I pray with the mind also? I shall sing with the Spirit, and I shall sing with the mind also. It's got to be both. Spirit and truth must be present in our worship to God. When you're filled with Spirit and truth, you will worship God in reverence. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28 says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service. Now the ESV uses the word worship there. An acceptable worship with reverence and awe. I thought oftentimes about what it would even be like to be in a worship setting where there was something other than just singing going on. And I have been told that it's just, it's, it's, a more, it's a more encouraging setting. This is from a young person's point of view. And so I thought about that for a minute because we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together so that we can encourage one another. That's a part of our gathering here. And let me just say that from my vantage point, just your being present tonight and being in worship is an encouragement to me. When Lisa and I lived on the reservation from uh, 90, 97 to 90, uh, see, 95 to 97, Michaela had just been born when we moved there. We worshiped in a trailer house. It used to be the town bank there in Crown Point, New Mexico. And uh, <clears throat> the people that worshipped every Sunday was the principal and his wife, Jody and Goldie Wallace. Another teacher and his wife from western Oklahoma is where they originally came from. The, the preacher who was Navajo and his wife and two, two boys that were still at home. And then Lisa and the kids and I. Those were the people that met. Now, when a holiday came, there were times when it was a pretty narrow group. It was a pretty, pretty confined group. Matter of fact, one Sunday, the other three men that I mentioned were gone. And I did it all. And when I say I did it all, I did it all. I did the class, I did the singing, did the Lord's table, did the prayers, did the preaching. That's about enough of Bob that anybody wants. But, but my point is, the way we're encouraged in worship is the fact that we're all there together, worshiping God together, and it doesn't come from the entertainment part of it. It's hard to worship God with reverence and awe and to consider worship to be any kind of entertainment. Gratitude and worship to God is shown by acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe. Not what's acceptable to us. Our feelings on the subject are mute and we want it that way because of our indescribable gratitude to God. 
Our pleasing Him should be our number one priority when it comes to our worship. And it was because, and it is because, the Son of Man had to be lifted up for us. The words reverence and awe are so commonly used and obviously misused that most don't even know what that means anymore. I remember in 1991, I believe it was 91, and all you historians can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was about the time we went to the Gulf for the first time. I had uh, just graduated or was getting ready to graduate from college. Of course, uh, we were all, we all had to, had to sign up for selective service, and uh, I was anxiously watching what was going on. And if I remember right, some of the words that were used to describe the initial attack was shock and awe. And being the protected country that we are, for sure the protected human being that I was, I didn't know really, I couldn't grasp most of that. Uh, and I just wonder if we don't misuse those terms a lot. Our worship to God is not to be common. Reverence and awe should not be used to describe common things. Batsell Barrett Baxter, in his book, The Family of God, on page 85, lists some definitions or descriptions of worship from several different sources that, that he found. And he put them together on page 85. Number one, worship is the adoring reverence of the human spirit for the divine. Number two, worship is man's response to God's revelation to himself. Three, worship is the outgoing of the human spirit toward God, recognizing in him the source of all life and love and goodness and holiness and righteousness. Four, to worship is to feed the mind on the truths of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to cleanse the conscience with the beauty of God, and to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Number five, worship is a group of specialized activities in which we draw near to and commune with God in an extraordinary manner. Number six, Christian worship is communion with the true and living God, directions for which are given by the Holy Spirit. Jehovah through all the ages from the time of Cain and Abel until now has prescribed the exact means to be employed in acceptable worship. Any deviation from God's plan of worship has always been unacceptable. I believe J.J. talked about that last week. If there are options, Nadab and Abihu may have an issue. Number seven, the word worship means worth-ship. And in ascribing worth to God and from Him drawing worth into dependent souls, worship is more than adoration and reverence. It is a response of the whole man to God's act and includes praise and thanksgiving. Number eight, to worship is to quicken the conscience of the holiness of God 
to feed the mind with the truth of love, to purge the imagination with the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. Every November, uh, we have a Veterans Day assembly at our high school. And I believe it's happened for 19 years in a row now. And uh, what we do is we invite all the veterans from our community, and we even invite current uh, men and women who are serving to come into our high school. And uh, leading up to that day, our uh, English department has the seniors write essays on their thoughts of what Veterans Day should mean. And generally there are two, maybe three of them that are selected to read. Uh, our band and our choir uh, play the music, they sing, um, they play pieces of each song of each branch of the armed services and then each member that's present there will stand up during his or her uh, particular song. Uh, it's a very moving experience and it, then at the very end uh, they play taps. And it's usually played by one of our students out in the hallway, just outside the gymnasium where you can't see them play, but you can hear them. And uh, even our middle school students come over and all while it's being played and afterwards, they know they're not supposed to applaud. You can hear a pin drop. Um, I've had family members serve and uh, <clears throat> I always seem to become emotional during that time. And if it's done at a funeral, it's, it's even more emotional. Can we show the same reverence or more reverence to God than we do during that time? Can we do more than that in our worship? You follow what I'm driving at here. I'm wondering if we just do this so often sometimes we lose the reverence of it. We lose the awe of the opportunity that we have and all the things that God has done for us. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21 and verse 24 tell us that worship is submission to Christ and God. We need to know what the will of the Father is. Let us never become people described by Isaiah <coughs> pardon me, and by Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, 8 through 9, where Jesus, quoting Isaiah 29, 13, says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Hopefully we can avoid being people who honor God with our lips, but our heart is far from Him. This is something else that... <coughs> I apologize. That was being driven home last Wednesday night was that we don't just become a Christian when we come in the building. It's, it's all week. It's every day. It's how we live our lives. 
We don't want to worship God in vain. We must worship God in spirit and in truth. I know some of you are sitting there and saying, yeah, but so what are you going to do um, with the one back in John chapter 3? Probably the most famous of the musts of both chapters. Well, we're going to go back to chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of spirit, water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. (coughs) I'm sorry. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. (coughs) You must be born again. I find it interesting that verse 10, after Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He says, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? I find it interesting that he asked him that question. Like Nicodemus, you ought to know this. You ought to know what I'm talking about here. <clears throat> you must be born again. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, the question is asked, Brethren, what must we do? After hearing what they'd done to Jesus, after quoting the Old Testament, they realized what they had done. And so they asked the question, what must we do? <coughs> and we all know the answer to that. Repent. And let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of sins or unto the forgiveness of sins. So there was a direct answer to a direct question, what must we do? There's only one baptism, Ephesians 4 and verse 5, and that's for the forgiveness of sins. Salvation must include baptism. Mark 16, 16 and Acts 22, 16 say that at baptism your sins are washed away. But without sins being washed away, there can be no salvation. (coughs) So obviously it has to be a part of the process. The Philippian jailer asked in Acts 16.30, What must I do to be saved? Verse 31, he says, Believe. That's a part of salvation. Got to have it all. Got to put it all together. What was the result of his belief in verse 33 of chapter 16? He was baptized. 1 Peter 3.21 says, Baptism does now 
save you. She had some water. <laughs> yeah, what I need is about a half a bottle of Robitussin. Thank you very much. <clears throat> the result of gospel preaching and belief is baptism. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were added to the church. Those were people that were being baptized. If you go over to Acts chapter 8, let's go over to Acts chapter 8. I want us to read about, about Philip. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 30. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. <coughs> he was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb, therefore, before it shears is silent, <coughs> I will get through this. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, he came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? <clears throat> and Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. <clears throat> the result of the gospel being preached is baptism. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was ordered to be baptized. In Acts chapter 9, verse 18, Paul is baptized. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 22 and 16, when Paul is retelling his conversion, he tells where Ananias says to him, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Does calling on the name of the Lord save you? That's a common, that's a common teaching among some of our religious friends. It does at baptism. It does at baptism. Colossians chapter 2, if you go over and look and see what, what Paul has to say here to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2. Verses 12-14. through 14. Let's go to the second chapter. I was in the first chapter. Colossians 2, 12-14, Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the debt 
the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross he has forgiven our transgressions <coughs> in John chapter 3 and verse 36 the Bible tells us back there in our, in, in our chapters if we go back and look at this it doesn't use the word must but I want you to look at it and tell me if there's really an option. John chapter 3 and verse 36, it says, And he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. <coughs> According to this passage, do we have any option but to obey the Son if we want to have salvation? Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 says that Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey Him. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. See, you can see also Romans 1.5, Romans 16.26, and 1 Peter 1 verses 22-23 when it talks about an obedient faith or obedient righteousness. So the conclusion for us tonight is this. Why is baptism important to us as humans? Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> that is what I want to hear as a human being. How do I avoid condemnation? According to this passage in Romans 8 verse 1, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. How do we get into Christ? This sounds a whole lot like the end of last week's lesson, doesn't it? Romans 6 and verse 3 says, We are baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27, which was the verse that was referenced last week, says the same thing. We are baptized into Christ. And yes, while baptism is, is a part of of our salvation. We have to repent. We have to repent. The Bible tells us that. Jesus says it twice in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. Unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. <coughs> we must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then we have to live righteously. I'm not... I'm not trying to suppress any of those other things, but in this particular passage that we're looking at tonight here in John chapter 3, he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Son of Man had to be lifted up. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. We must worship God in spirit and in truth and we must be born again. Those were the things that I took or chose to take out of John chapters 3 and 4. <clears throat> Question then tonight is, have you participated in the things that you must do and that I must do according to John chapters 3 and 4? Are you allowing the Jesus increase and you decreasing in your everyday life? 
Are you worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Have you been born again? If not, an invitation song was selected to give you the opportunity to repent. I would like to just uh, go ahead and continue the thoughts from last week about that. I heard a preacher one time say, sitting in the church building doesn't make you more any more of a Christian than sitting in the hen house makes you a hen. If we come to church broken as it was described last week, and we leave broken, you and I were given another seven days after we heard that last week to get things right and straightened up. Does it really matter what everybody else is going to say or think if a person comes forward? JJ's right. I've done it enough times to, I can tell you how it's done. I can show you. I can show you how it's done. Wasn't really concerned about what everybody else was going to think about me, whether it was my mother or my father, whether it was my wife or my kids. Wasn't really concerned about that. I was concerned about what God thought. Because at the end of the time, when we all stand before Him, it's going to be one at a time. Do you feel confident that you will hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of my kingdom. Are you confident tonight that you will hear those words? If not, God's grace has been kind to us. He has granted us that opportunity again tonight. If you do not feel that you are a saved person, please come as together we stand and as we sing.